0: Welcome to Creating Synergy, where we explore what it takes to transform. We are powered by Synergy IQ. Our mission is to help leaders create world class businesses where people are safe, valued, inspired, and fulfilled. We can only do this with our amazing community. So thank you for listening.
1: Hey there, Synergizers, and welcome back to another episode of the Creating Synergy podcast. My name is Daniel Franco, and today we have a very highly regarded and respected individual on the show, Head of Health at ANZ Bank, Mr. Brendan Rinaldi. Brendan is an executive leader at the ANZ, managing the health sector portfolio, and is focused on creating high-quality leaders, managing their well-being, which he believes leads ultimately to high-performing cultures. Brendan is a mentor to many, a father and grew up on a farm which is still in operation today and something he's very, very passionate about. With a background in accounting and restructuring, banking and finance, Brendan previously worked for PwC and Cortomentha before joining the ANZ. He now leads large national and state teams and has done over the past eight years with a real focus on creating a world-class culture with a values-based approach. Brendan is always keen to develop and expand on leadership skills and bringing the best out in others, particularly with a passion around well-being and performance, and he's put a lot of time and effort into his own leadership and development in this area. He is a highly sought-after speaker and asked to discuss the great well-being initiatives that he and the team have implemented at the ANZ Bank. On top of this, Brendan was one of the masterminds behind the very well-regarded ANZ Community Ball, which raises hundreds of thousands of dollars each year for charity. In this episode, Brendan and I talk about his journey from early in his career and sporting days to becoming one of the youngest executive leaders of the ANZ. We also deep dive into his learnings about building a team from scratch, diversity and inclusion, his background in sport and how it helped him succeed as a leader, the importance of connecting with clear and constant communication, how he managed an Australian-wide team from the distance, the benefits and return on investment when focusing on the well-being of the team, his non-formal approach to his personal development, life after the pandemic, risk of burnout, and why it is important to focus on the well-being element, his involvement in the ANZ community ball, and we both love reading a lot. So we spoke a lot about some amazing book recommendations. I know you're absolutely going to love this episode. And if you would like to learn more about some of the other amazing leaders that we've had on the Creating Synergy podcast, then be sure to jump on our website at synergyiq.com.au or check us out at the Creating Synergy podcast on all the podcast outlets. Cheers. So welcome back to the Creating Synergy podcast. My name is Daniel Franco. Today, uh, we have the great man, Brendan Rinaldi. Thank you for coming on the show,
0: Brendan. Thanks for having me, Daniel. It's great to, uh,
1: great to be here. So, Brendan, you are uh, touted as one of the youngest executives in the banking, banking history to... Um, well, one of the youngest people to have made an executive role within ANZ um, in the in the history of the ANZ bank. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey uh, to where you came from, from your football to cr- transitioning into the corporate life to becoming a consultant to where
0: you find yourself today? Yeah, sure. I'm not sure uh, in history, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was recent years. Yeah, I mean, I was quite young, obviously, going into into a leadership journey with ANZ and. Uh, yeah, I guess my background is accounting. I started at, at PwC and worked in in sort of audit and tax for a while. Had got my CA a ticket and then uh, went overseas and travelled, as all young people do, and and uh, got back and it was the middle of GFC and I didn't want to work in in audit anymore. Uh, it was quite quite dry, mm. and so I spoke to the audit partner who originally hired me and and I said I want to try something different. He said, "Well, corporate recovery are hiring," so I did. Uh, did about 12 to 18 months in corporate recovery with 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 PwC and I was at an event and uh, I know you're big on networking so um so yeah I was at a networking event and I I ran into a couple of guys who were ex Anderson and were working at Cortmanther and my sister actually started at Anderson and um before she went to Ernst and Young and I was having a, a great time with those guys and they said, Oh, what are you what are you working for PWC for? You guys you need to come and work for us. So um so I went and worked, well, you know, a couple of coffees later I went and yeah, worked for Cordementa and um did that for for four years. And then uh ANZ, all the the banks were our biggest clients back then, and because um, you'd typically be appointed as a receiver of a company. And and I always yeah, when I was at PwC, I wanted to make partner. When I was at Quartermentra, I thought I want to make partner. And I thought the best way of getting there would be to put yourself in the client's shoes. So mm. as part of my development, spoke to the leaders there and said, you know, I'd like a secondment at one of the banks. And fortunately through through another connection at, at ANZ and I guess I guess building that over time, they called one day and said, you know, could I go on secondment there? And it was a 12-month secondment uh, which turned into a full-time role and, yeah, I really enjoyed it. So... Uh, I guess my step into leadership there was I'd only been in the role for about 12, 12 months and uh, was actually just coming up to the birth of our first child and it was one of those things where I, actually, I think I actually worked Good Friday in, at Easter just to get everything off my – clear the decks and yeah. uh, said to my wife, I've got everything under control. I don't need to do anything for the next couple of weeks. Everything's under control. So I can really just you know embrace the birth of our first so child. And, yeah. Anyway… Um, yeah, so Hugo was born and then the following morning I got a phone call from the boss saying, Can you come in for breakfast on on Monday? I want to chat to you about something. So, so the boss know, from ANZ. At ANZ, ANZ. Oh, the guy I was I was ultimately reporting reporting to. We'd sort of had just had a restructure. So we had a new boss and he was just changing changing the decks a little bit. And um so I went for breakfast with him and he just said, Oh, you know, talk me through your strategy around Agri in particular which was kind of the area that I was working in and talked him through that strategy and he said, I want to set up a dedicated division. This is in the risk area and uh, I want you to run it. And I said, oh, I've only been at the bank 12, 12 months. I don't even have any direct reports. Like, are you sure you want me to run a team? Like, are you sure I'm, I'm qualified for this? And he said, yeah, we back you. We think you've got what it takes and we'll make sure we've got the right support around you to make you, make sure you're successful which was, you know, when I look back on it, uh, it's so good to have someone like that put so much faith in you. And uh, so I had to build a team of 22 nationally. Um, It was in the distressed area. So we're talking customers that are at risk of default and particularly in the farming side, it's very stressful obviously for for people. So um, there was a lot of empathy and compassion required and for me it was less about numbers. I'd obviously been an accountant, worked in banking Uh, and so I turned to sort of uh, self-study in psychology. And because it was all about just you know helping people through those times and helping them get out the other side, and and I think just leaning on my sporting career, similar to yourself, I played a lot of, uh, well football growing up at, at you know not at AFL level but at reasonable levels at the next level down, and um and was always sort of part of leadership teams, so yeah. I sort of lent on that sort of team approach, and I guess everything you learn in that environment and and a lot of the teams I was part of were quite successful. So I think you sort of gather that recipe for success is a team that that's really cohesive, plays well together as a team and, and all is one and not so much a team of great individuals. I've been part of one of those teams before and mm. should have won the grand final but didn't even make the prelim yeah. final just because – Team too many champions g- instead of a champion
1: e- champion team.
0: Exactly, and I really rate the work sort of Shauna Cause done on on that around you know realizing your big potential, and, and I think Google's done some studies on that too to show that it's not necessarily the uh, survival of the fittest anymore; it's the survival of best fit because it's the how you best fit into a team to make oh, yeah. that team perform. So. I guess a lot of that was sort of my approach to leadership and, and I guess that's how I got into leadership and since then I've had, uh, I've moved on to, this is my fourth uh, leadership role so I moved to Adelaide in 2017 which was the big leadership role so that was yeah. becoming State General Manager of SA and NT which I did for, for three years and then sort of into that three years I also took on WA as well so had SA, NT and WA. And more recently, I've just been appointed, you know, about five months ago to the head of health for our corporate institutional business. So that's really working with our private hospitals, our, our large aged care providers, um, retirement living and, and that sort of thing. So All the community stuff that you love. All the community stuff. That's right. There's,
1: uh, there's a lot in that journey. Obviously, sport, we'll touch on sport. You committed the cardinal sin of leaving, <laughs> leaving the consulting firm that you're working <laughs> for and for the client that you're working for. Uh, how did that yep. go down in, in its in its
0: first moments? Did you uh, discuss that with your with your leaders at the time? Yeah, it was a tough, obviously tough decision. Mm. I really enjoyed working with Quartermanthor; the culture there was sensational. Obviously, had a great relationship with the owners of the business, Mark Quarter and Mark Manther And going from a big organisation like PwC, where you don't really have that sort of connection with with an owner obviously Mm. it's a it's a big partnership practice but it was just great to be able to have that ability to to talk to them one-on-one and and decisions were made really quickly because they own the business so they could make decisions um very swiftly so look it was an open and honest conversation I went back to to both of them and and probably the leading Melbourne partner a guy called Craig Shepherd at the time and and just said look ANZ's made me a really good offer and, and I really enjoy what I'm doing there and the insolvency business was quite was which is where I was working most of my time at quartermento was was pretty quiet at that time in and and 2013 uh, so mm. so yeah it was you know, I had their blessing and yeah you know, is one of those companies that that sort of still supports their people once you're gone I think that's yeah you know, I've still got incredible support from from those guys you know mark mentors a great mentor and he's actually the, the godfather of my of my daughter and, oh, and things like that. So I've still still got the benefit of, of leaning on them but their, their approach is, is that once someone's worked for Quartermentha, they've always got the Quartermentha brand that they carry with mm. them so they really want to support people even once they're gone. Absolutely. So it's a, it's a great culture. Well, it works in roundabouts, right? If you ever need help, you give them a call. That's right. Yeah, That's right. It's a good attitude to have. And look, even if customers find themselves in trouble, it's good to be able to... Um, help them talk to someone too. So yeah, I know someone in this space in, who's worked in corporate turnaround for a long time. It might be just worth a discussion, and you know things can always you know come out of that. So yeah, uh, how
1: yeah. did you um how did you find the the working to the t- well? Basically, let's start back where where you jumped into the ANZ role, yeah. in and creating a team from yeah. scratch first real major leadership role. Really large learning curve. Yeah. What were some of the practices that you put in place early or, or learnings that you sort of sought after early?
0: I think it's a, it's a, so when I say I built a team, I, I guess I was given around 10 or 12 incumbents yeah. from the bank and then had to recruit the rest. Yeah. Um, it's a bit of a help and a hindrance. You've got yeah. this amazing ability to build your own team. Because on the other other hand, you can walk into a team that's already built, and you have to inherit that, you. and the, you have to inherit that culture, and then try and change it, whether it be good or or bad, um, and change things. When you build it from scratch, you can actually target the people you want. So we had quite a an aggressive. Well, I had quite an aggressive strategy around diversity. I thought um, I've always been a big believer in diversity of all thought of all. Um, parts not just not just gender, but but background and, and thought, um, yeah. the cognitive diversity that you need in a team. So, yeah, together with the I guess my two I see at the time, we sort of put our heads together and went, all right, who's who are some of the best bankers we can target to get into our team? Who are some of the best, um, you, know, ad, you know, consultants or insolvency practitioners in the market externally that we can go and target? And who are some of the better lawyers that we can go and target so we can actually bring this team together of uh, with all these different skills that can all leverage off each other? Because mm. I, th- I think when you hire people, you've kind of got to identify three or four competencies and they've kind of got to tick off at least three of those four. Like it, sometimes there's too big a gap for people to come up to speed in a yeah. role. But for the accountants and the lawyers coming in, their big gap – So. Uh, approach to customers would be right. Their their knowledge of of process and insolvency or accounting would be really high. Where they'd be lacking is banking. So if you had a good team of bankers around them, you would get them up to speed. Mm-hmm. For the bankers, if they were lacking around broader knowledge around how, um, how the whole process works from a legal perspective, then they've got lawyers around them to talk to as well. Mm-hmm. So that diversity um, just drove a, a really st- strong, cohesive team from the start. And, you know, I've got my favourite photo is the day I actually left that team and the gender split was around 50. It 50 was probably more in favour of, of women, which, yeah. you know, running an agribusiness and we started I think with 20% women and my boss said, oh, good luck trying to attract women into an agribusiness team. Well, yeah. we so- soon proved him wrong but I think we had people of all different backgrounds in terms of, um, you know, multiculturally like where they yeah. came from in yeah. terms of legal profession or accounting profession, in terms of age group. We had people, really young people in the team and we had some people that had been very progressed in their careers. So I think um just creating that really diverse group and we were just knowing you know, I guess we were very close. And I think, you know, creating that team environment, we we did the BRW triathlon together as a group. Oh, yeah. We did we went to the um to the ANZ staff ball together as a group. We we just did stuff together and we all enjoyed each other's company. And I think we genuinely came into work every day to see each other. Like that's how close we were. Mm. And that's – and I think that was just the the, the whole thing from the start was just creating a a close-knit group of people with diverse backgrounds that would complement each other and just create a really great team. And because we're working in a distressed environment, you needed people that could could lean on each other. And some of the friendships that were formed in that group are still really strong today and that was – you know that was sort of 7 years ago so
1: if you could pinpoint one reason yeah. why you were such a tight knit group yeah could, well, could you
0: pinpoint what that would be I, I think it was i was very lucky that so i had a team in melbourne team in perth and a team in brisbane and we sort of managed nationally from those three key centers but i think the great thing was was that the leaders that were in those, like particularly the one in in oh actually all the Melbourne, Perth, and and Brisbane were all great as well, and they sort of drove, just drove that culture really strong. So mm. I think picking those sort of direct reports right mm. with similar sort of values and that similar. Um, you know team approach really drove that connectedness and cohesion as well yeah so did you
1: did you enforce behaviors like did you create expectations did you say these are the values that we work to and we're going to hold each other account what was your way of creating that culture where um, a these leaders felt empowered to continue it and, and work to it and create you know a better environment for all yeah did you set some direction for them um
0: well, I guess as an organisation, we we set we set our values. Uh, we've got our eye care values at ANZ, um, but I think it was just more probably the level of communication. Mm. Like even though that we were scattered um, around the place, like we would talk a couple of times a day on the phone. We'd always be talking about what's happening, and and I think that just high level of communication created clarity, and we could always vent to each other if we. Yeah. Because sometimes there's there's, there's certainly. Um, Certainly times of conflict when you don't agree with an approach taken um, to handling matters when you're in distress and you might get told by a senior just, you know, to to do something in terms of let's just resolve it this way when you want to resolve it another way and sometimes and and I think just that communication gives you the ability to bounce stuff off each other and and not sort of build it up. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Well, that level of
1: communication creates trust, doesn't it? Yeah. And, And then with trust... It creates the uh,
0: the ability to engage and work well together. Yeah, I think it, it's one of those things that festers on itself. I think once you build a good culture with good leaders in place, you naturally attract the good talent as well. So it's it's self fulfilling. You just keep you keep building on it mm. on a good team. And and so we yeah, I mean, some of the talent that, that we attracted to our team that's sort of gone on through the organisation. It's probably one of the proudest things I look back on. And I did send it to my old boss the other day. I sent him a note to say, and I was in Brisbane the other day and I saw you know I listed off three or four people that have progressed through the organization I said you know we recruited these people in and it makes me really proud to see their progression that's probably you know the best thing the best thing ever as a leader and he came back and agreed so
1: it's brilliant yeah your career in sport if we just jump back into that yeah I'm really I'm I'm one that pushes this quite a few bit actually I believe fundamentally sport, specifically team sport, creates a really great foundation for people who want to move on into the career, into the corporate world or into business in general. Yeah. Do you believe that your background and, and you know, obviously playing high level in the – was it VFL? Yeah. And, and the Waffle that yeah. you played? Yeah. That um, the high level of, of football, the AFL football that you played contributed to your success as a leader – yeah. and managing your
0: team. Yeah, 100%. I've always probably similar to yourself. I've always been always just watched leaders really carefully and just wanted to pick the best parts out of um out of them and, and why they're successful. So, I guess I wasn't heavily involved, but I was on Collingwood's VFL list in, in 2010, which is probably just in the lead up to to when I took my first leadership role. And Mick Malthouse was coaching Collingwood at the time, but what Mick was really well known for is that he knew the individuals in his team really well, like, mm. and he knew how to make them fire. So, like, he'd know exactly what triggered, he'd know your interest and what triggered you, and how to make sure you could perform as an individual. Did he spend time? Far, with him? Yeah, did he
1: spend time with you on that? Like, oh,
0: not me directly because yeah. I was on the on the VFL list, but this is just what I'd heard and okay. the way I saw him interact with players. Um. So, you know, one of the first things I did as part of my first leadership role was I sat down with every individual of the team and I had a list of questions. How long have you been in the bank? What's your what's background of your career? What's your family situation? Where do you live? So I knew how far they were from the office to home. Um, so I got an idea of their commute yeah. time and their pressure and just what their, in, like their home environment was as well as their work environment. Yeah. Um, what sort of motivated them, what they wanted to do next. So just getting to know the person and how to make them perform and I think, you know, when I look back, a lot of that did come from, from sport and I just think that whole doing the right thing for the team and my, you know, people who've worked for me in the past probably get sick of the, uh, <laughs> the sporting, the sporting analogies <laughs> but, you know, it's true. Like if everyone plays their role and you do the right thing for the team... The scoreboard takes care of itself like you could not get a more cliche <laughs> like it's, I know you could not get more cliche, but we get I guess in corporate world sometimes you get so focused on the numbers absolutely you get so focused on the surveys and the outcomes, but you've just got to focus on doing the doing bit by bit right and everyone playing their role right and all that other stuff just takes care of themselves like um so you know definitely focusing on our people first, which I think is another thing that gets missed by a lot. we sort of focus more I guess on the customer and the outcome. But if you don't focus on your people, they won't service your customers as well as they should. And you yeah. won't have as happy customers and then your results won't be as good as well. So I think there's a process there you need to follow to get to the outcome, not not focusing on the outcome. And I get very critical of of leaders who put their priorities up and they'll have, you know, customer financials, you know. Our, our compliance and then people and sometimes I don't even have people on there. I'm like, hang on, your people should always be at the top. Yeah. And it's the same in sporting. Like if unless you've got your people on the field, you can't you can't perform. So you've got to start with your people and their health and making sure they're at their best fitness they can be, making sure in the best mindset they can be when they take the field. Otherwise your chance of winning is slim, right? So why wouldn't you focus on from an organization perspective making sure our people are in the best environment they can be when they come to work and I guess in this environment at home as well, making sure yeah. their home set up as well, but also making sure they've got the capability to execute on their role really well and they don't get that anxiety um, in terms of am I doing this right? Um, and I guess just building that, uh, that other piece, which you would know well, is it's not just always up to the captain. You need a number of captains on the field and a number, number of people to speak up and give you feedback. So creating that culture is really important as well. So yeah, doing um, the one percenters is the doing the one percenters, mate. All that. Um, but I think there's so much that sport can learn from the corporate world, and corporate can learn from the right, sporting world. Vice versa, right. So you know,
1: just on the one percenters, there. Yeah. My coach drummed into me time and time again. Football coach, cricket coaches, was always about doing the one percenters. Was doing the little yeah. things, yeah, and they accumulated into the big things. Yeah, there's even talk, um, and it, my coaches didn't go to this extreme, but I think I can't remember oh, was it, the name of the, the Chicago Bulls coach that took them all. Phil Jackson. What, yeah, yeah, was it Phil Jackson? It was. Yeah. Or it was one NFL. I can't remember which one it was, but it was his number one rule was have to wear good socks. Okay. Right, and wear wear great socks that were made properly, and your feet would feel comfortable. Because if you didn't wear the right socks, they could crease up, you get blisters, and you would less spend less time off the on the court. Yeah. Right. So the one percenters, they're the little things. Everyone, yeah. so he ordered good socks for the whole team. Yeah. To make sure that they didn't get blisters, which meant they meant more court time. Yeah. So those sort of things have really stuck with me. In my career, purely yeah. for the preparation point of view, doing doing the right things, and time and time again.
0: You would know as well. Is it? I think it's James Clear in Atomic Habits yeah. or Building Sustainable Habits that talks about one percenters as well and the little yeah. things. And I think he, he spoke about. Um, I think it was a cycling team who even Correct. took their yeah the pillows UK, the UK took are, their yeah. pillows and they they d- designed their. Their trucks so no dust could get into their gears and things yeah. like that so they did all these one percenters yeah and, and obviously the performance came through as well but yeah absolutely and and I,
1: when not when we translate that into into numbers and doing the one percenters and, and actually treating our people right did yeah. you what i'm really interested in is did you focus on that when growing your team or is that something that you've developed and grown into over time or is it just sort of give the Give out people the right environment
0: for themselves to flourish, yeah I think there's I think there's a bit of a natural um, way that that sort of evolved into my leadership um the or the way that I lead in terms of the first couple of teams that I led, which were which were different to i guess coming to to Adelaide and leading a bigger team that I couldn't necessarily see as much. The first two teams I led obviously were. Yeah, you know, first one was Melbourne, Perth, Brisbane. I could get to see all those staff quite mm. regularly, um, and I was in touch with those leaders, yeah, you know, every day, in in those offices. The second leadership role I had uh, was just uh, Vic Tas role, leading corporate agribusiness and our emerging corporate in, in in regional. But that was a smaller team, and they were all we were together all the time, so you could you could lead face to face. And then when I came, so it was always, so when you're there, I think that collaboration and cohesion is a lot easier to drive. Yeah. You get that instant feedback. Um, you're talking all the time. So you can be really clear. But when you go to lead a team that's very vast and, and, and I remember talking to a good friend of mine, Shane McCurry, who's, who does a lot of work with a lot of organisations but, but mainly probably known for his work with Richmond Footy Club when he went there in 2017 around culture. And I'm like, I just need to get my head around trying to drive um, this workforce that I can't actually see. Mm. Like, um, like they're everywhere, all through South Australia, Northern Territory, and you know I can't. Some of that. Sometimes it's just one person in one office in, yeah. in Narrogin, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess I had to build on communication strategies around a weekly email or a weekly video to the team, and and the team here were, were really. A group of great experienced bankers who knew what they were doing, but our growth was just flat. Like we weren't so, and there was a there was a severe lack of just engagement. Like I think people are doing what they'd done for a while and yeah. and uh, and good at what they did, but I guess the the key thing for me was I was at a leadership conference with ANZ in 2018. So I was only sort of probably five months into the role, and the the boss asked a question the first day of the conference we all had to split up. I think we are in about 12 or 13 groups. There was probably about six or eight per group. And he just said, if there's one thing you could focus on to drive performance in your business, what would it be? And we sort of went down the path of processes and policies and things like that. And that's the discussion that our group got into. And I just said, everyone, how about, what if we just focused on the well-being of our people? Mm. And you know, well-being is a bit of a buzzword now but it wasn't that long ago when it was sort of that sort of fluffy word that people was like oh yeah um yeah uh and we sort of fleshed it out and I just sort of said look I think the team that 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 I have is highly capable I just think the engagement needs to lift and we just need to show a bit more care and and just you know change you know make a positive change for our people to make them feel better about coming to work and focus more on their well-being and being the best versions of themselves and another cliche there. But uh, but it's funny because we actually picked that as our group to mention and we were the only group out of the 12 or 13 to mention well-being mm. and we spoke about it. The following day – this,
1: this was pre-pandemic, you said? This yeah. is pre-pandemic.
0: Yeah. yeah, this is early 2018. Yeah. But the following day we came back and you had to do the exercise again. About 10 of the 12 groups said we want to focus on well-being, well-being of our people. So you planted the seed. So it was kind of just – and then for me, that was validation to go, actually, this is on the minds of everyone. Mm. People just haven't been talking about it. So well, we. What was it – sorry, what was it
1: about the well-being? Was it the, the lack of engagement that sort of threw you or yeah, is it, were like, you seeing
0: some distress in your team? Yeah. Obviously, with the type of work that you were doing. And I just think people were just going through the motions. Mm. Like there was just um, – like I said, highly capable but just turning up, going through the motions, no – no excitement, none of that sort of yeah. tele- uh team uh, cohesion and uh and you know take it take a strategy day. the first one that I attended um was just all about we had all our product partners coming it was all about just products policies, procedures, and then the next one that I actually ran as the leader, which I had some control over we had <laughs> we had um we had like Tom Neamey come in and talk about yeah. his seven um, seven secrets to well being. Mm-hmm. We had James Morrison come in, you know, the world's best trumpet player come in and talk about um, yeah you know, culture. And he does a, a brilliant talk around the why, like similar to I guess Simon Sinek's well known for his pieces around the why. But James Morrison's a brilliant uh, motivational speaker as well, and he's just one of the cleverest guys you'll ever meet. Um, but he came in and we talked a lot around community, culture, well being. All this sort of stuff, yeah. and at the end of it, people were just wowed. I guess they came up and said, "Oh, we've never seen anything like yeah. that." It's there's never been so, so much of a heavy focus on us. And I guess the radical part for us was, oh, I don't think it was that radical. We or, we always have promoted flexible working, but we just said we want everyone to spend four hours of their work week dedicated to their own health and well being, whatever that means to you. Like, there's no no. Nothing specific around it. doesn't mean you have to go for a run or walk. But the team actually it, it did catch on and people were doing some amazing things. Like, and I'd get feedback. People would go for a walk at lunch and said, oh, oh my God, I've come back. I'm so much more productive mm. now that I've done that. I've cleared my head. If I had been at the desk all day, I would have been just going through the motions. Groups were going for runs together at lunchtime. One guy moved house and the whole team went and helped him out for an <laughs> afternoon. Um, I think we had about six people quit smoking. Um, yeah, wow! It was just just that, it just fed through and I guess where that came from was uh, a good friend of mine, Shane, who I mentioned earlier in the piece, was at, was at Richmond in 2017 and he came and spoke to our group early on and he spoke about how one of the things they did in at the start of 2017, they looked at the uh, training program of the group and they actually cut the training program down by uh, 20%. And gave it back to the players and said here's your own this is your own time now if you need to do a top-up session you do a top-up session if you need to focus on you know going and get a massage or well-being or recovery you do that so it's your it's your time it's your well-being um and i thought well 20 percent that's a that's a full day it's mm. probably a bit much but i can probably do 10 yeah. percent, which is you know four hours, four if, hours you, if you sort yeah. of work to a 40-hour week which A lot of people wouldn't, but that's kind of of the old piece. Did did you do it over? Was it four hours in one hit, or was it four hours over? No, you spread it over the week. What if someone did
1: five? Like, were you monitoring that? uh, No, not at all. Not at all. It
0: was just a message. It was a pure message where set yourself a target to set four hours out of the week Mm. dedicated to your own well-being. Some people, you know, but I think the flow on effect, even just even that, some of the parts of the community talking about, where one guy going um, coaching his. Uh, his son's junior football team, so he'd he'd leave um, twice a week at four o'clock or something, say, and yeah. and he was known in this. He was in Darwin. He was known in that community as the as the banker up there. And yeah. they said, "Oh, you get time off to? How do you get the time off to come and do this?" And he said, "Well, our, you know, we, we we get told we get promoted to take four yeah. you know four hours a week to and that's to dedicate real. to our well being. So I do this as part of my well being. I coach my son's footy team, that's and amazing. they're like, like, wow that's.'" That's very good of the organization to do that. So it sort of starts to feed through
1: or well, the community. The community as well. as well. Yeah.
0: And adds well, obviously adds benefit to the community because you get people going to do that sort of thing as well. So
1: there's a, a, a you know, you talk about the 80 20 rule. Not so much for from a wellbeing point of view, but the Googles, the Atlassians, the Microsoft, these sort of companies, they do allow that one day a week. But yeah. more for more from the point of view of the staff being able to spend it on the work that they enjoy doing. Yeah. Right. And you get things like Jira and Gmail and all those sort of creative ideas come from the day where it's like you, you can move away from your everyday work yeah. and do something that you love. And then all these great ideas yeah. can come out of it. And the the health and well being aspect is is the same thing. It just adds so much more benefit to their own lives and, and being able to connect with family and being able to oh, go yeah. home as as a more mentally fit. Going home as opposed to being run down and drained all the time.
0: You'd know yourself from going for a run. How many oh. ideas go through your head when you go for a run? And you get that especially when you mind. listen to a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No, so. you're right. Do you
1: place a lot of emphasis on your on your health? I mean, you're obviously a good
0: looking, strapping young man. I mean, do you do you put a lot of time and effort into your own health? Uh, I have this year, and yeah. and look, it's been up and down. I mean, yeah. I always when I when you're playing. Sport at a high level, even at a local level, um, and you'd leave work, you know, right at four thirty or five to get to training on time. You'd find you're always getting the work done, and mm. sometimes a lot more productive. So yeah. that's, I guess, the other thing in the back of my mind that's validated that when when you stay fit and you actually dedicate time to that, and you put deadlines in place in your calendar to get stuff done, you actually do get get things done. And, um, but look, I, I guess the the first year I became a leader, I it was the same year I quit. Football. Mm-hmm. Sorry, the second year I was a leader it was the year I quit football, and I didn't do anything for that entire year. And that's probably the worst I've felt ever. And I just said to my boss, "I'm just running 100 mile an hour. I'm not dedicating any time. I've just had had my first child as well, mm-hmm. so you know what that's like. You get the interrupted the to go with life. it. So then that, you know, I went through that for 12 month period. Got back into my health and fitness. Another point of interruption was probably, you know, every time you have a child, I think when you get this disrupted sleep, it does impact your your routine. So uh so I guess there's you know, when I talk to people about wellbeing, sometimes it's circumstantial in life as well. Sometimes you can't help what happens, so you can't always be dedicated to going to the gym. But this year in particular, um, I've focused a lot on it. And for me it's been three or four times a week at the gym every morning. Um so just get up and go at six o'clock from six till seven. I'll be at the gym three to four four mornings a week. Um, always have a have a really healthy breakfast to start with, whether that's a, a sort of veg fruit sort of smoothie and and something pretty basic for breakfast. Mm. But I'm sort of always thinking about it from that perspective and it's interesting what probably kicked me into gear, and we've spoken about this. Was a, there was a book that I read at Christmas that my mum gave me called Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins? David Goggins. And uh, that changed my life as well. That yeah. yeah. And I know others have said the same thing. Like, the, he's an interesting guy if you're listening to him oh, on a podcast. Very, very alpha male. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I just think the power in his mind to do some of the things that he's done. Correct. And when he talks about those things, the lengths that he's pushed his mind to to build resilience and he sort of references it to like when you go to the gym and you get the calluses on your hands Mm or he's talks about you know getting the calluses in your in your brain so that you can push yourself harder and i just think um he probably made me reflect and go yeah i need to do have a bit more discipline get back into what works best for me yeah and not yeah, he's a no excuses sort of guy, isn't he? Mm. And and he was brutal. Like for a guy to go through seal the seal tra- testing yeah, the, three uh, times or something. The, and he what was it called? And he de- actually, de- not death Hell week. De- hell week. Hell week. Yeah. He got through hell week three times, which is probably. And plus, he did was it Rangers and then Delta Force yeah. or something. He's he so ran he's the whole week on
1: on broken shins. Yeah, uh, that was. So, like he had he used duct tape to yeah. hold himself up. Like it just the yeah. He's almost stupid. Yeah, but when you talk about calluses on the mind, I think that was the one thing out of that book that yeah. really stuck with me. How do you build those calluses on the mind, on your brain? Yeah, the calluses being, you know, obviously the the, gr- the grit and the yeah. resilience that you can build by by pushing yourself. That book was the reason why I decided to run at the start of the year. I, I listened to that book late last year. I decided to run a thousand kilometers for the to so Bugger, it. and you know, then uh, coupled with Atomic Habits, which you've just yeah. mentioned, yeah. I thought. What a better way, oh, 1,000 kilometres is 3K a day. It's 15 minutes, 15, you know, 16 minutes a day. Yeah, I can hit that, not a problem. Uh, and I started doing it. And now I think, uh, well, I'm probably sitting at about 13, 1,400 kilometres so far this year. So I've eclipsed the 1,000 and I'm, I'm trying to get to the 1,500 mark. I don't think I'll get there but um, by the end of the year. But that... Has built so many more – and I've felt invigorated coming back into work every single day. You do have more energy. It yeah. might sound silly. You're doing 15-kilometer yeah, you know, kilometer runs now and you've got more energy. It doesn't make sense,
0: but it actually does work. Yeah. I think um, – yeah, I'm not a – I don't – I haven't followed Tony Robbins a lot, but he's – he has I can't something about the guru or something on Netflix mm. and I did watch that one just out of interest. Yeah, but, not your guru. Yeah, but he was very big on just finding the energy, yeah. and I think that is the key to a lot of things finding your energy. So it does come with, you know, like you said, going for a run helps you find the energy. I know he True. does a lot of sort of that cold therapy as well. He's got yeah. the, the plunge pool, and um, you know that's something that I've got involved in the last twelve months or more thanks to actually. Um, Alex Laws, who I'm not sure whether you know, but she's a, a local um, as well. Who used to be, I think she competed in the Commonwealth Games mm. and was a sport like a personal sort of sports coach in the in the US, but she's now based in in Adelaide. But she she's big on cold therapy so i've been doing the cold showers for spending nearly 12 months and i find that helps as yeah. well but have you
1: read the wim hof book i haven't read the wim hof i've heard a lot
0: about <laughs> yeah, it yeah. but um, it's got the breathing the, uh, the breathing and it yeah. goes with the cold but i think just finding those elements to just give you energy like even i try and time my coffees at the right yeah, time yeah. during the day to make sure that that gives you that little bit of kick when you need it as well but i think that is critical finding the energy and but also with that, getting the right – making sure you get the right rest and recovery at night. Is so. it, do you – question for you in, in this not, – not
1: anywhere in the notes or anywhere we spoke about, but do you find that the just getting older, you start noticing – because when you're young playing footy, cricket, yeah. whatever it might, playing sport, um, you have so much energy. You just have, there's always this sort of pocket spare that you can yeah. draw on. Yeah, as you get older, you realize no, I really need to concentrate on eating the right foods, yeah. sleeping, uh, maintaining this vessel which is carrying my brain around the whole time. Yeah, like, it, it becomes so much more important
0: the older you get. Yeah, I think you have to be more deliberate around it. I think you, um, yeah, I read another book I'm sort of reading at the moment, I'm is uh, Fearless by Pippa Grange. And okay. I guess as you get older, you sort of Understand things a bit more and how your body works, mm. and and I think obviously your metabolism does slow down. Yeah, mm. um, you know you're not as strong, so when you go to the gym, you can't think you're 20 anymore. Otherwise, <laughs> you will just do Absolutely, an injury. Yeah. So I'm very conscious of not trying to lift too much because yeah. then you get you know you'll get tight through the neck, and then when you're working at a desk all day, that just builds into more problems. Um, and then you walk down the street, and all of a sudden your back goes. <laughs> <just> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but I think you know, particularly. As you go through, um, I guess, the middle of your life, you are having kids, you're getting more, more disrupted sleep. You know, that's also a time when you're probably taking on, you know, you buy your own home and all this mm. sort of stuff. So you're taking on debt. For you, it's like starting a new business. Uh, for me, it's taking on a different leadership role and moving state. So you've got all those pressures that you didn't have when you were younger yeah. either. And I think it does disrupt your sleep. You know, you're taking clients out so you won't, you may not eat as healthy. If you're yeah. traveling, you know, h- having traveled, Recently, like it does take it out. If when you go to Perth and there's a three, hour, uh, two and a half hour time difference from here, yeah. and you leave at seven and you land at seven, and then you you go out for dinner that night, like it's a huge it's day. Like it actually that. does start to take it out of you, and we yeah. probably don't. You notice that once you pick it up again, yeah. but I think when you were in that rhythm pre-COVID, you just sort of took it for granted. But they're the sorts of things that would run you down. I think that's where uh, you just have to you know pause and, and take note of it a bit more and make sure you are looking after yourself. So yeah. Going back to the well being stuff
1: that you're doing, we yeah. digressed and went down a rabbit <laughs> hole. So we'll come back up, which is great. That's no, good. The well being of your team, yeah. you said that they were flat, they weren't getting the results, it was big stagnant, yeah. whatever it might be. Once you introduced the four hour rule, yeah. Not rule or way, did yeah. you see improvement in the team? Did you see improvement in results?
0: We saw a huge improvement and I, and I think it's it's probably we can't put it down just to that individually. I think there was a, a moment in August oh, there was that moment but there was also I guess the way, the beauty of it was, again, the leadership team that were underneath underneath me all resonated with yeah. them. So they all went pretty hard on it as well and yeah, we were right. sending, we had WhatsApp groups with our teams and we were sending stuff around what we were doing so you'd take a video at the gym or something like that and start to promote it. But we also changed our structure a little bit. So, um, and I think that that also helped us. Um, We changed our structure so we had a bit more of a focus on uh, building capability of our team and being faster for our customers as well and just creating more support for our team. So there's a few little structural things we changed as well within the business. So, I think wellbeing was a big key part of it, I think also just changing the structure a little bit helped as well, but yeah, we saw um huge up, uplift in in mm-hmm. numbers, like I think you yeah, know the k p m g report that was done around wellbeing that said you get a for every dollar you spend on wellbeing you get a dollar thirty back, so that's a good return on investment. but you know the results that we saw far outweigh that like mm-hmm. um and I think the the key thing for us was it it I always thought getting a result out other the blocks would be easy. The hard part's always sustainable results. And I think for initiatives like that around wellbeing, if you bring it in, the danger is it sort of wears off on people. They'll get yeah. very enthusiastic about looking after themselves and doing something different, but then it dies off. So you've got to actually come up with new ways or new people. Yeah. One of the keys for me has been I'm certainly not an expert in this space, but we've got some amazing resources locally here in Adelaide and, and there would be in every every state but you know for me it's been Tom Nemi of Healthy Minds it's been Beck Smith from Samri um people like that just getting them in to do might only be a 30 minute talk or yeah. just just educating people on the neuroscience of the mind and how your brain works when you're feeling this way or that way and particularly when we went into lockdown we had Beck come in and do a session around how you might be feeling and stuff like that I think that all helps helps Absolutely. people just educate our people on the way they might be feeling and thinking so um but, yeah, I think ultimately if you are creating, as we said at the start, the best environment for your people, the capability, um, that well-being piece around making sure that they're bringing the best version of themselves, so ultimately what drives business is productivity. So if your people are feeling good, they'll be more productive. Yeah. When they're more productive, you're going to get results. Get so I think it's about – but it's you've got to go on a journey. It's not just – We'll introduce this and your job's done. Yeah. It's like culture. It's ever, it's forever evolving yeah. and you got to change with it. And so. it's part of an ecosystem. Yeah.
1: You? Both Beck and Tom, are, yeah, I've seen I've known Beck, and I've spoken, uh, no, I haven't ever spoken to Tom. Seen yeah. him speak, I should say. Uh, both targets for this podcast. I want to get them on. Beck and I are actually organising a catch-up shortly. Um, the piece that I'm, I'm interested in that is because i was that was a question that i was going to ask is you introduce a four four hour um, idea of of spending that time on your on your health and well-being it can become stagnant over yeah. six months you introduce new people these sort of things can fall away you yeah know. is there you know, I mean, it means you hold people account to that as a leader do you say have you done your four hour like what what do you do to make sure that people are yeah. actually putting time and effort into because some you know, some might not see the importance or the younger folk that are coming through might think, yeah, oh, I'm fine, I've got enough energy, I can keep pushing, I can burn the candle at both ends and, and get through. And What do you do as a leader for, for people who are acting yeah, that way?
0: I think ultimately you have to get them to be self-driven around it. You mm. can't actually force people. I think it's the ability to, to offer it, to educate people um, and to try and get others to embrace it around mm. them as well and then naturally... I'm not one to force stuff on people, so I won't just go, yep, you've, you've definitely got to do this. I'm going to hold your account to your four hours. It might be something that just pops up in conversation. If, if I was having a coffee with one of my team, I'd say, how's your, how's your health and well-being? What are you doing? Yeah. Are you spending the four hours? And just in casual conversation like that. But then I guess they'll they'll sort of notice it because you you are bringing people in every couple of months to talk around a well-being topic yeah. and things like that, and it just starts to get embedded in the organisation a bit. So. Um, the problem with app, there's a lot of apps coming out around the well-being yeah. you'll find and a lot of challenges and things like that you'll find that they and I know you've been involved in it before so be keen to get your views as well but you find that people there's a huge spike in uptake at the start mm. and that just peters yeah, off. off so it's the key and whoever finds it's probably going to do extremely well but the key is to try and find that that uptake and of course it's going to come off a little bit but to keep that engagement at a reasonably good level um but ultimately it's got to be it has to be self-driven at the end of the day i don't think people can you know i think for leaders you offer the education you put on the agenda so i think one thing that we did do as a business we had it on the agenda for every meeting that we had what has the well-being of our people do we need to be doing more or is there you know anyone in particular we need to be concerned about those sorts of conversations um which, which drive other conversations but, um, but I think ultimately you've just got to create a platform where people can drive it themselves. You have to as a leader lead by example as yeah, well, right? Exactly. A lot, of the, a lot of the petering
1: off that we see is purely and it comes from, yeah, this is what I want, because yeah. I've heard it's a good thing to do for the team and this might get at me more productivity and, and it's introduced yeah. for the wrong reasons. Yeah. And it might be some uptake and you might have some you know, early adopters that jump on and go, yeah, this is great and bring people along for the ride. Yeah. But if leadership, and this goes with anything, right, this goes with culture, this goes with business improvement, this goes with well-being, yeah. if yeah. leaders aren't on board and they're not acting or they're not um, contributing to the, the everyday success of what they're actually trying to achieve, yeah and leading in a way where people can look to and, and say, actually, you know what, this is something I am seeing improvement in his or her attitude, yeah, uh, therefore that might be you know and I'm getting the benefit from that. maybe that's something that I can do yeah. and um you know people people do have the tendency to look look up and and see. What the what their leaders are doing, yeah, uh, and if they're not doing it, then well, if it's not good enough for them, then why do I? Need to <laughs> you know what I
0: mean? Like that's where those yeah. And I think there's so many avenues to tackle. Like fitness is one thing, as you know. Yeah. Diet is pro- as a as a society, I think we don't so understand right food well enough. And as you know, I'm a massive fan of James Muirkey and the work yeah. that he's doing. And he certainly yes. pointed a few things out to me. Oh, James'
1: podcast so. blew my mind when we sat down with him. Yeah, it
0: just. Uh, some of the work he's doing is amazing. Yeah. So it's food and then the other thing I mentioned I like them around that rest and recovery, I don't think there's an, enough emphasis around rest and recovery as well, making sure. Um, yeah, you know, I think Sean Accor in, in his podcast around uh, around big potential talks about, you know, for him something he does is just create that, you know, he, he finds the times of the day when he's – He's at his most vulnerable and he says it's the first half an hour when he wakes up and the first half an hour before he goes to bed to make sure he starts the day well but also finishes the day well so he can get a good rest. And so he calls it crowding a moat around his day. And the first 30 minutes of the day is for him and the last 30 minutes of the day is just for him to unwind as well. So finding things like that. so yeah, I mean there's so many facets there's like your tiny habits again or tummy yeah, habits. Yeah, exactly. And like Tom with his seven secrets to, to well being. Like yeah, he's got seven elements of the wheel. So there's always different elements you can focus on as well. So there's plenty of training to <laughs> to be delivered. Yeah, correct.
1: Yeah. I think as leaders, when when you're not gonna get it right all the time, right? Yeah. At least we can show that we're giving it our best. Yeah. Yeah. We are we are uh, we have to be vulnerable in that moment too. Uh, yeah, we're not always going to get it right and we're going to make mistakes and we're going to have ups and downs, but as long as we're seen to be looking to improve or trying to improve every day, yeah, it's critical. Yeah, what you've you've mentioned a lot of books, uh, reading, you talked about you you researched the psychology piece yeah. a lot earlier in your leadership career. How much emphasis, and obviously it seems like a lot, but how much emphasis have you placed on your own personal development? I asked the question from the point that I feel like, you know, as, as part of Synergy IQ and the work we do with, yeah. with businesses, we go in and we, we work with leaders, right? And we yeah. help them. So we've got coaches in our team who can come in and look at their behavioral um, aspects, look at the way their brain works, all of the above. And we yeah. can help them through their leadership journey. The big part of me that always really tries to drum home is that. You can do all the leadership coaching you want. You know, you get an hour or two with a coach. You might see him once every month or every three months, or however the, the sessions are. But if you're not going home yeah. and spending time on yourself, trying to develop yourself, whether it is in your, in your, with health, uh, yeah. whether it is with your fitness, whether it is with your mindset, whether it is your communication, whatever it might be, if you're not trying to improve yourself every day, yeah, driven individually – yeah. Then I believe you. You're actually almost putting sh- pushing shit uphill, right? I, I believe it's a really tough gig to yeah. improve without actually. So the question of how much emphasis do you place on your own personal development?
0: Uh, structurally, not a lot. Like I don't do a lot of courses or anything. Mm-hmm. But probably similar to yourself, I and I haven't. I do enjoy reading. I'm not a huge reader because I, you know, you read most most of the day you're reading stuff so sometimes when you get to bed you you kind of want to switch yeah. off although I do try to get in the habit of just going just do one chapter of something yeah. or just do something but even if I'm if I want to sit down and and relax at night even to watch a Netflix or something I'll try and find something that's of interest. Yeah. But even if it's something different I'll try and take out the key points so yeah, I'm not a. I've never been a Formula One fan, but watching F1 Drive to Survive on Netflix, apparently it's amazing. It, it is amazing, and and what I got out of it was the leaders of, of each team and the team principals. Yeah. Um, and there's a you know, Mercedes who've who've won you know the last seven championships in a row, potentially get knocked off by Red Bull this year, but um, but their their team principal Toto Wolff. He's just, yeah. You know, there's some. He's just, he's a. He's just an amazing leader by the looks. Just looking, watching that show, and yeah, there was one. There was one particular uh, episode where Mercedes had a shocking day. Something happened with the car, and and yeah, you know, Netflix are in his face. You know, what do you think about this? And and he's just gone you know no blame no one you know, we have a no blame culture here we just diagnose the problem we learn from it we'll fix it and we'll be better next time mm. and and if you youtube him on no blame culture like he he's just an incredible mind he's obviously been incredibly successful at mm. at uh, venture capital or whatever he did before he was uh, team principal at mercedes but and then there's christian horner of red bull and you sort of just watch all these team principals and how competitive they are and so I think even you know if if I'm just watching something, I always try and take those bits um, out of it around leadership as we as we spoke about um but I think that comes from the simple fact
1: that you have put time and effort into your growth development, yeah. like there are so many people yeah. that would watch that, and I'm just. Saying this off the cuff, I don't actually know. Yeah. There are, I believe there would be so many people who would watch that and not even pick up those words. Yeah. You know, the no blame culture. <laughs> yeah. It yeah. wouldn't even be part of the thing. It'd be just watching the TV show, to would go straight over the head. Yeah. And then they would carry on and light the excitement that comes with the TV show. So yeah. I'm the same as you. Like, I watch um, I, two, you've got three young kids there. You? Yeah. yeah. Where our kids are about the same age, 10 and nine. But when they were growing up, they used to love that movie, Sing. Yep. I don't know, you've seen, yeah you yeah, yeah. koala, yeah. and he <laughs> started a business head. it fell it hit the like it he lost yeah. all the money and whatnot, yeah, and then he restarted again, and he said this line like the number one thing about hitting rock bottom is that there's only there's only On one one way line. that's up uh, and yeah, that's yeah, yeah. like those sort of <laughs> in a kid's movie right it, I, I, so I am the same as you, I yeah. do very much try to pick out the opportunities to learn and grow in everything that I watch, yeah. but does that come with the the years? And time and effort that you've put into, or is that just something that everyone does? I, yeah, that's
0: yeah, not sure. I mean, like I said, I've always observed uh, leaders and always wanted to pick out the yeah. the best parts of the people that I've enjoyed working for, and also seeing their bad habits and say so I need to avoid yeah. that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm you know similar to you. Like I, I read books to the kids every night as well, and 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 watch movies with them. And I think some of the key messages. Um, yeah. You know, funnily enough, I spoke about Shane, the Richmond Football Club, earlier. I think, you know, he does introduce some of the kids' books into, yeah. into their things just because of the key messages in there. There's some powerful messages when you go back to some of those books. And, you know, yeah, yeah. A, and I love reading some of those books to the kids and taking away some of those key messages. And in fact, um, just recently, so you'd know The Good Dinosaur as well. Oh, yeah. And uh, <laughs> so in the book, one of my I, So I've so seen the movie, but I was, watching, I was reading the book the other night and And our theme for this year, for our team, because we've got lots of new people in our team um is all around collaboration and bringing everyone up to speed and making sure that we collaborate together as a team but also with our our stakeholders and customers and and really drive that and and I sort of said and and also making your marks really important, and you know from the good dinosaur there's a passage that says, you know making your mark is doing something big for something other than yourself mm. I just thought that was really powerful because if you're always thinking about doing something for someone else, how good that makes you feel, but also oh. how how that can help you progress as well. And uh, you know, those, they've got their mark on the on the silo, that, that, yeah, you know, their dinosaur footprint. Yeah. So, so you know, I guess our slogan is just like making making your mark. Yeah. Like that's that's sort of and that's just coming well, from that, a kid's well, book. I, so
1: absolutely, and that analogy is kind of where this. Podcast was born from. Yeah. I mean, in what world or what realm can you yeah. connect and collaborate with people, learn yeah. about their lives. So they're sharing, right? yeah. They're giving back, they're learning their experiences. But then in the same token you're learning. So that's why for yeah. me, this podcast is just amazing. I get some amazing people on the show like yourself yeah. telling me about your experiences and your learnings and your and your everyday um occurrences in, in your workplace. That um yeah, the giving back piece is the reason why you do this because Everyone yeah. wants to everyone wants to sort of share their story and, and yeah. help other people grow. I i I think it's fundamental in everyone.
0: Yeah. No, definitely. I and mean, there's plenty I mean there's plenty of content out there. I think that's the beauty. You can mm. you can pick up a, a good book, you can listen to a podcast these days, you can watch, you know, a good documentary on on Netflix. You know, we were t- talking even earlier around, you know, World War Two and just uh, you know, whilst it's there's some good learnings just to come out of what happened through through all oh, yeah. those, those battles and and how those particular leaders led through that. And whilst it's obviously you know, war is not something that's that's nice at all, but I think you can take some key learnings out of the way that people led through that. And, oh, uh, and the ego that bloody was involved with it. Yeah, yeah you exactly. Talked about Stalingrad before and yeah, oh, I was really interesting because obviously taking Stalingrad wasn't part of the plan of the Nazis, but Hitler's ego got the better of him and wanted to take Stalingrad because it had Stalin's name in it. Yeah. And I think the other interesting part of that, so that the Germans put so much effort into that battle, which they ultimately didn't win, but they were they were completely on top because the Luftwaffe had bombed Stalingrad and then they had the heavy artillery. But interestingly, the the leader that Stalin put in on the Russian side to lead it after I think after a few months and things weren't going well, he put a new leader in there. The leader actually based his his quarters right in amongst with the troops so he could be really close and was known to be very accessible for the troops and he was getting the feedback and he introduced close quarter combat mm. because he knew that the Germans couldn't use their artillery if they were close close quarter combat. Yeah. So they'd only be me, me and you away and yeah. they were sort of within within the realms of just throwing a grenade but that sort of helped, helped them win but you had a leader that was really close to the ground, got really close to his troops. I guess some of the criticism of leadership is it's too high up Mm. and you're not close enough to your your people and you're missing the key point. You're going in the wrong direction and you're not listening to what your people are actually saying. Um, The other one we spoke about was the Battle of of Midway, obviously, where the Japanese were well on top there and, and should have won. But the guy was so procedural, this Admiral Naguro was so procedural that Um, you know he he ordered the planes to get uh, ground artillery get um, weaponized with ground artillery which took two hours to do and they did that and then they realized that the US um, fleet as in their aircraft carriers were actually within range or something Mm. so they had to flip back to torpedoes for uh, to try and bomb the um, the aircraft carriers but he wanted to wait until the whole squadron was weaponized with this rather than just sending them off once they were, you know, sending off a smaller squadron once they were all geared up. Yeah. But ultimately that allowed the time for the US to send their yeah. squadrons and ultimately beat yeah. them. But if he hadn't have been so... I've learned in this book that you have to send the whole squadron as one Correct. and if you had to just send off smaller ones, they probably would have been successful. It's being agile, right? It's, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's a, and th- this is
1: the thing. I, I love the World War II analogies. I don't love the the concept of war at all but the analogies and the strategies yeah. that come out of it and you yeah. just see the mistakes. For me, the whole World War thing, like you, if you talk about, you know, dare we say his name on this podcast, you know, he who yeah. shall not be named Hitler. Um <laughs> It, it, I, for, for me, sending and the way uh, you and I have spoken about the happiest man on earth, right? Yeah. Which is uh, Eddie, which, ja- Eddie Jackie. Eddie Jackie, yep. which, you know, um, rest his soul, he's passed away recently. Yeah. If, if you think about the way they were treated, yeah. so the leadership is saying, we're going to put you in concentration camps and we're going to expect. The one thing that blew my mind in that whole piece was when he went after the war yeah and then he went back into the real world, yeah and he's communicating with some of these people who treated him incorrectly or yeah. however, well, they were following orders and how and his question to them was how do you actually live with yourself how do you yeah. commit those crimes and so what I took you know try to piece all the puzzle together and you know how what it means to me and it's yeah. who in their right mind in this day and age would listen to a leader like that yeah. And I wonder about the time and why they did. Yeah. If a leader ever asked, and if and I'm, I only know the people within my circle, and yeah. that's those within Australia, but I could almost guarantee that anyone in my circle, mm. if ha- had leadership instructions to do that sort of stuff, would all just walk away and go, yeah. "No, like I wouldn't. I'm not doing that. I wouldn't treat another human being okay. that way." Yeah. And so that's the whole bit of that that really, um, really fascinates me about the world, the war. How Elephant. people could how, get could go that far? How yeah, they could go that far? Yeah, and the, and the power and control, yeah. that they
0: they needed, and the ego that was floating around, and I just think, wow, you know. yeah. Well, the other thing I learned, which I didn't know through the documentaries recently, was that yeah, they called them the super army, but they're all high. They are all on crystal meth, yeah, which then yep. has an effect of reducing your empathy level as well. Yeah. So. I think uh, I didn't didn't appreciate that until I watched uh yeah, yeah. until I was watching some of these documentaries. That I can't remember uh the actual name of, of the drug, but yeah, obviously you go, Well that sort of makes makes sense as to why they're all slightly a bit crazy. But um but yeah, I I don't even get your head around that. But uh, <laughs> the other after reading Eddie Jacko's book, which was phenomenal, I actually used one of his quotes at the ANZ Community Ball yeah. early this year in terms of the way he said, you know, the gift of giving. Um, and how powerful that is and he couldn't understand why his dad would say that when he was young but now yeah you know, as he became older he could really appreciate the ability of of giving um but also read Viktor Frankl's book who was very which is you know man's search for meaning which was very similar to Eddie's but he went through those concentration camps from a psychologist's perspective mm. and told the story from One of a psychologist's perspective yeah. And I think yeah you know, I think you and I might have spoken about this over a coffee but the interesting part for me in that and as as my team are sort of coming out, have come out of lockdowns in Melbourne and Sydney is, you know, Victor spoke of the issues people had once they left the concentration camps. When they were in there, they sort of lived in hope of the war ending, in mm. hope of getting to the other side. But when they actually got out and they'd, they'd sort of known that way for so long, mm. they didn't know how to adapt back to society. and A lot of them actually suffered severe depression and, and things like that. So, um, so i think that sort of makes you think well you know when there is a significant change in people's lives or routines or things like that that's when you really have to focus on that well-being piece as well so
1: it's an interesting point do you believe coming out of the pandemic that we might see like when when it doesn't become a thing right right now yeah. everyone's like i can't wait for it to get
0: back to the I think the big risk is burn. The the risk is burnout. Burnout for those for Sydney and Melbourne that have been in lockdown. The risk is burnout, and I think that you know they've all been quite busy. There's been a lot of change through organisations through the pandemic. Most most organisations are going quite well and have been quite busy. Um, Aside from obviously you know the small businesses that have that have suffered entertainment um, industry exactly. But you know you come out. You're going to feel the pressure, and people are going to want to do events, lunches with clients, um, travel back to the office. All this stuff takes up time in your day, and the work doesn't go away. Yeah. So they're going to have the work to do, but on top of that, the events. So there is a there is a shift, and I think there is I think there is a risk of, of burnout, which is something you have just got to keep front of mind. So I think that makes you know that step up around focus on wellbeing even more important during mm. this time, just as people change their routines and just to say, hey, you know. Just be mindful of, of, of your own well being and making sure you don't feel as though you have to be, you know, entertaining all the time over this period. It's important, but just make sure you're, you're looking after yourself. And
1: have you got any strategies in place for the next twelve months of what your team would look like from a well being point of view? Uh,
0: yeah, I guess the pleasing part about it is um, the the boss and the boss's boss in my organisation's very focused on well-being mm-hmm. so it's being driven from the top which is excellent to see so i think it's it's good that you can just sell you know promote that consistent message from the top which is really good so it will be a focus and we're certainly doing a lot of things around it but again i think it comes back to the discussions with your team and the communication around it so it'll certainly be on the agenda a lot over the next 12 months
1: so moving on from the well-being stuff and we yeah. went down another rabbit hole there <laughs> and we we, we
0: we got out of there which is great
1: uh did you? Well, you are very involved with community. Yeah, right? you do a lot for the community. Obviously, being in the realm head of health, that's your big part of your role, working with the, the, the health organisations. Yeah, um, is it Australia-wide that yep. you work with? Yeah. Yep. So the the community, uh, or the ANZ Ball is an yeah. interesting one. You've mentioned it a few times. How you, yeah. What is your involvement there? And I know you're heavily involved, but can you explain to the yeah. what the idea is and, and what you're actually hoping to achieve through the ANZ Ball, which is March
0: next, March 5th next March, year March in 2022. 5th, 2022. Um, yeah, look, obviously something I'm very passionate about, close close to my heart. I guess um, I really love the ANZ purpose in shaping a world where people and communities thrive. You know, I love that slogan and, and, it, and I think with any purpose of, of an organisation, you've got to take that back to what it means to you and how you get energy from it. So... When I spoke earlier and leading a large team that was you know that was in different different areas that you couldn't actually see um we'd always start with community what are we doing for the community and then and then people and then um being and then and then our and then a bit on the business so community was always a heavy focus and what I found in the first year of the role was that we were supporting so many organizations that felt like we were doing something different every week like we we do badge day for all flying doctors which is um which is one that we're very close to but you and you'd, you'd give people for a day to sell badges but you'd raise like $1000 and and we do the walk with Hutch Street and you'd raise yeah a few hundred dollars or that so we we're doing something often every week or every second week I'd put in my my note to the team we're doing this or someone's doing that and and I just felt we just weren't making an impact. We are doing a lot of little things but not making in, an impact. Like it was all great but, you know, one or two grand is not going to shift mm. shift the dial. And I guess the other part was we were also a major sponsor of Generations in Jazz down in Mount Gambier, which, which I hadn't heard of before I came to South mm. Australia. But it's an amazing event where about 6,000 kids come together and it's run by James Morrison and he brings in these international artists and it's, a, it's an amazing weekend down in Mount Gambier. And... Funnily enough, and just by pure coincidence, Mark Mark Mentor, who I mentioned before, was was chairman of um, – well, he was on the board and then became chairman of Generations in Jazz because I rang him up one day and said, do you know about this Generations in Jazz? He said, yeah, I'm on the board. I said, oh, well, we're a major sponsor. And, uh, and so we were down in Mount Gambier on the, that weekend and then a couple of months later I rang him and said, I'd love to do something big from a charity perspective that would involve bringing a gener- bit of Generations in Jazz to the – To Adelaide, I've seen James Morrison, his Motown band, play live. Love it. Um, But rather than supporting one charity, could we support a number of charities? And Mark, so we were just—it was all ideation. And Mark said, "Yeah, and you could get the 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 band who wins the big band down there, which was Marriottville that year." He said, "You could get them in to play over maybe entree and main." I said, "Yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah, what what a great opportunity for the kids to play in front of eight hundred people with their idol, James Morrison." Mm. Um. And then uh, so, yeah, I put the idea to our leadership team locally that probably thought I was a bit crazy. We had to find a way to to do it. We're obviously not a charity so we couldn't run the charity event. We found a way to actually get a charity to be the host charity and then we become the major sponsor and we effectively underwrite the event for the cost and then actually managed to get a few sponsors on board uh, the first year and um, so they – the beauty is is that all the other sponsors whatever they contribute go straight to the bottom line because mm. our sponsorship covers the cost of running the event so we had you know first year i think in daily we are a major sponsor uh, Kaysler wines or saint scholar provided all the wines and a big package so it's your typical night where you can come together and we didn't want to make it like any charity event like it was something different where you can come and it's called the community ball because we we want to showcase all aspects of the community of South Australia and it's obviously an amazing place. So we've got amazing food, hmm. some of the best wine in the world, um, obviously a lot of craft beer producers <laughs> yeah. uh, and now a lot of gin producers. Um, this year's event we had Southern Rock Lobster from down the Limestone Coast on the menu, Spencer Gulf Prawns and Smoky Bay Oysters oh. like <laughs> and then some of the wines that were on the on the list were were next level as well. We had um, Lobethal Beer House beer uh, mm-hmm. as our craft beer option. We had the guys from Hills Distillery donate gin for a gin bar. We had uh, a couple of huge pack- you know winery packages, and the so the idea is people get a dining experience, they get an entertainment experience because we've got the the big band winners from Generations in Jazz, which just play a bit of light jazz over entree and Maine. We get James Morris and his big te- big Motown band in concert um after after Maine. And we also do a big live auction, silent auction and a car raffle. And all that goes to to the to the charities. So we we usually put in 12 charities and um there's six majors. So six major charities um all participate in the pool mm-hmm. and the other six charities walk away with a guaranteed five thousand dollars. So this year we raised 335000 yeah, so the major charities walked away with 50000 each. And it's not just the money because on the night we also do a short video that goes for about five or six minutes where the charities can actually talk to the audience about what they do. Yeah. And Showcase so. their purpose and whatnot. Yeah, like exactly. So and – and look, to be honest, there's probably – there's over 100 businesses locally that get involved in it now mm-hmm. and both events we've had, we've sold out. So we had 840 the first year, about 750 this year. We had to scale a bit back because of COVID. Next year's event's strictly limited to 760 and I think we've almost sold. We've got capacity for 32 corporate tables, which we sort of, that's sort of a level of sponsorship. We've only got five five to sell and we've still got a few months to go. So I think it'll sell out easily enough. But there's some amazing... Uh, Additional sponsors on this year, like Channel 10, so they'll they'll do all the filming. Um, We've got uh, LMS Energy, so the event's going to be carbon neutral as well. They're going to provide enough carbon (laughs) credits to make sure it's carbon neutral. The guys at Hills Distillery, I think, are going to provide a whiskey bar as well. We're looking at a champagne bar as well. Uh, Callum Hahn from MasterChef, and he's got his business, Eleven, and Sprout here is going to work with Gavin Robertson, the head chef, to create a pretty cool menu. So... Um, so it's a bit of fun. Like, yeah. It's just one of those nights where, you know, Marty Palmer, I'm not sure if you know Marty, but he's famous uh, for, uh, for you know the pubs around town that he owns. But it, <laughs> I loved his comment when he came to the first one later that night. He said, you know, I was getting the suit on for another charity ball. And he's like, oh, do I, do I need to go to another charity ball? I feel like I'm going to these all the time. He said, but mate, that's one of the funnest nights I've ever had. And yeah, I like, good. I said, that's the biggest compliment you could get for people to turn up and say, this is fun and yeah, great. know that they're getting that charity connection. I think the beauty of supporting a number of charities is that you would hope that at least everyone in the room has got a connection with, with one of those with charities one, at yeah. least. Um, apart from Variety, which obviously supports a variety of charities, there's not too many other opportunities where you can go to a charity ball and and you've absolutely got a connection or you think everyone in the audience got a connection with that charity and I think it, for for the event... That for the community ball, I think everyone can get in that room and go, yep, I've got a connection with at least one of those charities, yeah, which no is the, the brilliant piece. And it's diverse as well in terms of the major charities for next year are uh, Backpacks oh, – sorry, Oper- Backpacks for last year. Operation Flinders are the mm-hmm. host this year, so that's teenage um, well-being mm-hmm. effectively. Yeah, uh, Samri, which is obviously famous for the research yeah. they're doing. um Zoo's SA, so the conservation arm, so focusing on, on I guess, the environment and conservation. Love Elaine. We've had Elaine yeah. on the show. Yes, you have too. Elaine's brilliant. Um, and I think, you know, the, the 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 live auction will have some sort of Monado package with the accommodation and the and yeah, the glamping sort of offering up there with the, the whole safari experience. That would be amazing. Uh, we've got the Jody Lee Foundation. So they were the host last year. As, as Sorry, they were the host this year, so obviously they're focused on bowel cancer prevention yeah. which is the second largest cancer killer uh and we've got hut street center as well so we're supporting the homeless so it's a great variety of yeah. charities and and then the second the, the the minor recipients with the guaranteed five grand is backpacks for kids which we all know about supporting kids that uh-huh. get displaced from homes and life changer foundation and other teenage wellbeing. um sorry the other major i didn't mention was Royal flying doctors oh, which yeah. is the other big one that's yeah. that's been in um yeah. Site for All, which is James Micky's oh, one. So, I was going to say, make sure James is in there. Yeah, Generations yes. in Jazz. Like, so we do support a, a vast variety of organisations that do amazing work in the community. And look, it's had it's had great feedback. And um, you know, your lumber's another big one that's come on board as a sponsor for next year. Pretty pretty famous yeah. local winery. Um, Andrew Kittle from Kittle Toyota's just. I mean, they, those guys are amazing. They, mm. you know, he provided a Corolla hybrid. This this year, and, yeah, wow. and said he's going to go one better next year. So I'm looking forward to seeing what he's going to throw in the car raffle. Is that next year. it's all part of the auction, or is that a raffle? That's the car. That's raffle. the major yeah. raffle. So it's, uh, it's it's always exciting when someone wins a car on the yeah. night. So so yeah, like I said, it's uh, it's something that's been close to my heart. It's been you know it's had some great success. We've raised what over five hundred and sixty thousand dollars with two events. So it's actually had that impact on the community that we want. That's and great. I think it's the beauty beauty of it is it is a community event everyone comes together we support various causes in the community and it's uh i think when we touch on the well-being piece and purpose i think that also you know creates the better well-being for, oh. for our staff for the community and it's just ab- sort of feeds into Absolutely. all that as well so
1: kudos mate that's uh <laughs> it's an amazing amazing work you're doing there where, where the was it your idea is that Does it come from, I mean, obviously you said there was a a few that you weren't too particularly happy with. Is it, did you work with anyone to come up with that idea or is it just yourself that was the brainwave?
0: The first call was to Mark Mentzer to flesh it out. The second call was to James Morrison to see if he'd get involved. And then um, I guess after that, it was talking to our leadership group because we had to just work out whether we could, it was almost a mini cap raising to see if we got all, Pull our funds yeah, together to sponsor a the event. Um, and then it was talking to, you know, it's amazing support from Solstice Media in daily to get behind it and really promote it the last few years. But now sort of Glam Adelaide's involved as yeah. well um, and Steve at Showcase. So, yeah, there's, like I said, there's a huge amount of support around it now. Um, but sort of, yeah, that's sort of how it all all came together was just, I guess, just an idea and saying how can we how can we do this, make an yeah, impact and so have a bit of fun. So, and I think... I don't know this for a fact, but I think, you know, the charity ball, the sorry, the community ball that we had this year on the 14th of March was probably one of the first charity balls, you know, post-COVID. Mm. And, you know, we were we came back from Christmas in January and went, yeah, we're going to press go because we had to postpone the prior year. We actually got on the Wednesday early March, it was, yes, it's a go. Mm-hmm. Friday we, we had word that the Grand Prix was going to be cancelled. And our event was going to be on the Saturday and we oh, went, no, wow. we, can't, we can't run it. Morrison came out that, that afternoon and said, from the Monday, events over 500 are uh, not allowed. Oh, wow. So technically, we could have had it, but we just said, no, for the, for the safety and to curb the anxiety of guests, we just had to, had to put it off. So we pushed it out to, to the following oh, – to this year, effectively – um, but people sort of forget pretty quickly that you know we only we had people from nearly every state come in for that event, yeah. and we only opened to Victoria like seven days prior to the event, so we we weren 't opened up for long um but the other the other brilliant thing about that is that every supplier of the event um knew that it was a charity event and didn't and just rolled both, everything yeah. r- rolled everything forward as a credit so yeah, the convention centre were, were great to deal with. All the sponsors were really supportive and right behind it, so everything just rolled forward to the following year. So. Brilliant. Yeah. Well done. Thanks, mate. Thanks for allowing me to give that a plug. No, that's good.
1: <laughs> no, get along. I'll be there with bells on. Um, just looking at the time, we are well into the and probably looking to wrap up now. Want to ask a. Just a quick question, what does the future for you look like? You've obviously achieved a lot in your career and life and, um, you know, there's been conversations with me that you're always keen to keep moving up the the ladder and and, and extending your output and value that you're adding to the world. What what does it look like for you?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. I think uh, it's just progression. Like I've always been quite competitive and – and love winning, but I'm not a win at all costs mm. sort of people. I think the balance has is, is got to be there. You know, first and foremost, I just want to be a good, a good father. Because <laughs> you got a <laughs> good husband. Yeah. Parents. Yeah. So, I mean, that's very important. Uh, and, you know, you have to balance that out. Um, like I said, I want to keep progressing through the organization mm-hmm. um, as far as that will take me. CEO role one day. <laughs> that's as it is, mate. That's the only I bird I could that. find on you. <laughs> I don't know about that. But look, I think if you're growing and progressing and you're getting that self-satisfaction, that's really important. Yeah. But at the same time, I've got an amazing network of people and some great mentors out in the community. And, and you know, who knows one day um, could find myself in a role outside doing something completely different. And, mm. and I'm open to exploring things at the moment um i work for a great organisation and, and happy where i'm at and 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 like i said keen to go as far as i can but um but yeah we'll see is, is, that, is adelaide going to keep you i think that's the main question in that uh un- well unfortunately not i'm moving back to melbourne uh, in the new year oh, there you uh go. heading back my role's technically based out of head office okay. and we're expected to head back to the office in the new year so be back in melbourne which will be good for a few reasons i mean obviously the kids will be closer to their grandparents which they haven't seen much yeah. of over the past couple of years and and for me I'm, I'm involved in the family farm which is sort of three hours north of of melbourne so it'll be good to get up to the farm a bit more and get a bit more involved in that and and look if, if all else fails in the corporate world i can always go back to being a a farmer yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> with my brother so look that's a bit of fun it's a passion project as well outside of work but i think you need those things to take your mind away yeah. it was good when i was playing footy because you always had footy as an outlet mm-hmm. um for me i guess it's it's the family but it's also the farm as well i probably talk to my brother for five or ten minutes every day on the way to work or on the way home from work and just ask him what's going on and how he's going and mm. that gives me great satisfaction as well so Brilliant. Always feel as I can fall back on the farm if <laughs> if things don't go. No, so I
1: think uh, I think you're heading in the right direction from a corporate career as it looks anyway. Thank um, you. Quick fire
0: questions as yeah. we
1: wrap up the podcast. We've talked a lot of books. What is one book that you are reading right now?
0: yeah uh, still yeah, Fearless by Pippa yeah, so, Grange yeah. She what? Pippa is so I'm, she's a she's a, probably more known for her, her psychology in sport, but she's um, also done a lot yeah. of work with corporates. She's probably most famous for the work she's done with the English soccer team, uh, who I, th- I might get this wrong, but I think they've had a bit of a voodoo around penalty shootouts. Yeah, yeah. And I think she, you know, she's worked with she's them to try and get their mindset clear, right, clear the mind. But I think. Um, Again, it's more one of those books around psychology. I think when we boil things down to it, a lot of a lot of the reasons why we act certain ways is because of an embedded fear. If mm. you can get over that fear, you can handle yourself better. So I think, yeah, I'm probably halfway through that book, but uh, and that's she's explaining, yeah, I guess, why fear comes about. The next part of the book will be how you sort of overcome fear. So yeah, it's a really interesting book, and and I. And I just think she's a yeah, she's a great intellect. So I enjoy I enjoy her work. We uh, we just had a podcast released recently, actually with
1: Vin Jang, and he's an international keynote speaker. Yeah. We ask about imposter syndrome and yeah. you know, getting up, or, uh, up on the stage and he talks about fear a lot and all yeah. and he's got a few little tips and tricks and methods the way he overcomes his fear and getting up on stage. So uh, it's worthwhile checking out that podcast.
0: Yeah, and the other one. The other podcast I've listened to recently was How to Develop Confidence in 90 Seconds by Dr. Joan Rosenberg and shes uh, I really loved her concept. So the 90 seconds piece is that she explains that fear basically only lasts 90 seconds. So if you get up to speak or you get asked a question or something, there's like a toxin that gets released in your Mm -hmm. body. But she said that goes away after 90 seconds. So if you can learn and you can sort of approach it from that perspective, you'll actually be able to – be able to okay. overcome your fears okay. a lot quicker so if you actually understand that so i'm not giving that the full justice it needs no but if you but if you listen more to her and and, and listen to that podcast with her yeah it's i find i find that fascinating as yeah well. the,
1: it's, for, for me fear's always been and i've said this previously is the is the you it's the creation of something that hasn't happened right? yeah like we're, we're fearing and we're almost making assumptions you That's know a, yeah. like Talking about getting up on stage, you're making the assumptions that people aren't gonna like you. Yeah. So you know, <laughs> exactly. all the above, it's things that, that, that haven't happened. Actually, Vin yeah. used in that podcast that we did with him, he used this really good analogy of it's one of those things if you if you look at like the horror movies, right, where yeah. you see the person running away from the murderer, right? At that point, we as human beings are more fearful. Yeah. And more anxious at that point when the person's running away than when the person turns around and faces the 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 murder head on. It yeah. becomes an element when we face our fears, yeah, we are much more or less anxious than what we are when we're trying to wanna to run away from them. So that's a good. Those, point. Yeah, those little analogies are just just amazing. Yeah. Uh what is one book that you've recommended more so than others?
0: Uh Oh, This year it'd probably be The Can't Hurt Me by David oh, Gaines. Yeah. I think you've I think it's you've got to have the right audience to probably recommend. I don't know if it's a book for everyone. I think it resonates with me and probably resonated with you because of our, our deep sort of sporting background yeah. and uh, and that sort of thing as well. But that's probably one um I've recommended yeah. a lot. And I Did do you th- audio book it or did you No, I actually read it. Oh, you read it? Yeah. Because yeah. Um, the audiobook's
1: brilliant as yeah. well. If anyone who doesn't want to Jump into that's it that's because he, it, yeah. he does a podcast, right. mini five minute podcast at the end yeah. of every chapter. Yeah, and okay. he kind of gives a quick rundown yeah. and, and his quick mentality up. into it
0: also. yeah, so in the book there's a he probably there's a cheat sheet at the end of oh, every it? There, end, end of every chapter. So it's probably it's similar, very similar. Um, but certainly, you know, the Eddie ja- Eddie Jackie book's oh, brilliant. I've recommended that to plenty as plenty of people as well. Throw in so, Victor Frankl and the Victor Frankl one. For yeah. Me, yeah, I think that's a bit deeper. I think. Eddie's book, you could read cover to cover. Yeah. I think Victor's book, it's a bit slow oh, and ste- steady. Oh. You've kind of got – you sort of read a chapter or a passage and then it sort of triggers your brain to think sometimes and you might have to read it again. So it's a pretty – because he, ta- he talks to it from, I guess, a psychologist's perspective. Correct. So it's a bit deeper and harder to read. So Eddie's you – know, for, for a quick, easy read and a great read, Eddie's is probably better. Yeah. But it's not you, so
1: easy at times like in, oh, the, in it, the sense of the storyline. It touches yeah, your heart it, it, yeah, yeah, it yeah, yeah, it's it's some pulls hearts in there and you go. It pulls at the heartstrings you, a bit. Absolutely. You, like, yeah. How did you get through it? Yeah. yeah. What is one lesson that's taken you the longest to learn?
0: One lesson that's taken me the longest to learn? Uh, probably uh, to abandon your ego. Mm. I think uh, that's taken a
1: you know oh. I guess
0: uh, for all of us it's something we're, <laughs> we're probably grappling with and you see it every day and we spoke about you know the battle of stalingrad which is a big ego play but you see it everywhere and sometimes I think you've just got to check yourself when you've got an opinion or something and go, is this is this just my ego or um, mm. am I seeing it through the right lens so um do the- you abandon it or do you manage it? Uh, well, that's a good question. I I guess I use that word abandoned because uh it comes out of the movie Seven Years in Tibet with Brad Pitt okay. and he's you know, it's based on a true story with the Dalai Lama. Yeah. And um and he sort of he says that in terms of the key as part of one of the keys to life is part of yeah. their way is around abandoning your ego. So it probably is managing it. There's yeah. probably is a bit of uh Benefit of having a bit of ego sometimes to help you manage, but I think it, a lot of the times it can get in the way too. So, no, <laughs> so I a, think that's there's yeah. a book
1: um, by Ryan Holiday. Yeah, ego is your enemy. If yeah, you, if you haven't read that, get onto it. It's I haven't.
0: A, but uh, yeah. I do like Ryan Holiday's. Yeah, movie, is there, yeah.
1: if anyone is interested in that Stoic philosophy, Ryan is a leader in that realm. Yeah, if you could invite three people for dinner, who would they be?
0: Interesting. Uh, Right now, Ray Dalio would be interesting. So I've read his book or most of his book, Principles. Uh, I find he's he's very interesting to listen to. And you and I have spoken about this too. But I love that his analogy back to nature and mm. understanding how nature works to understand just how life works. Yeah, I love his analogies around that. But also, he's he's an amazing. Mind around the economy and what's happening and stuff like that. So I think, right, at this particular point, he'd be great to to have. Um, his radical transparency. Uh, yeah, the radical transparency is piece the, is amazing. Really interesting as well. So he'd definitely be one. Uh, I think uh, Tom Brady would be interesting. Oh, yes, just his.
1: So for those who don't know NFL, <laughs> he's one of the best quarterbacks in history. <laughs> he's
0: probably the greatest Beat, of all time. All time. Um, yeah. I think it's seven championships now. Still uh, playing at forty st- years still old. Still playing at his age. Um, it'd just be great to have a conversation with, with him, him on how he's he's like. And from all accounts, he's an amazing leader. Mm. And you know, he, he obviously went to um, the uh, the Bucks Buccaneers and mm. uh, and won there. But I think. Um, yeah, they came from nowhere, but I think a lot of it was down to his on-field leadership as well. So he'd be interesting. Maybe if I say and their wives, so just to bring some diversity into this, because yeah. I'm not. Uh, <laughs> well, your not doing wife very is an automatic. And my wife, an automatic. Um, <laughs> and a third. Interesting. Uh, yeah, interesting, right? I don't know. I'm going to go with Roger Federer just because I'm a big fan of his. Yeah. too.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have a small, slightly small obsession with Roger. <laughs> just his character is the way he manages his family and the, yeah. his business, and yeah. the way he goes about it, his application,
0: cool, calm, collected character. Yeah, just, yeah,
1: yeah. This is what he doesn't. He doesn't do anything that's extravagant, but yeah. yet has people eating out the palm of his hand, and yeah. that's kind of the bit to me. Which really showcases his behavioural and character, yeah. like behavioural characteristics.
0: He does it with grace, but I think if he, if you watched him, do you remember early days, like oh, he, he was, didn't carry himself very well no, as a junior. But do, does but, anyone? Uh, uh, yeah, I guess I guess yeah. that's right. I guess um, so. You can see the learning I mean, that he's you could, gone, but through. you can see that, yeah, you can see the journey that he's gone through, and, and I guess what he's become, and yeah, he's yeah, oh, incredible. The, on the
1: cricket field, I was the. Fast, the dumb fast bowler that went back to the to his to down at fine leg and kicked kick the water bottle and <laughs> swore like no tomorrow, but yeah, I mean, you learn as you as, as you grow go. older, and yeah, yeah, that 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 type of behavior doesn't really get you far. No, what's some of the best advice that you've ever received?
0: Uh, That's an interesting one actually. I oh, I mean the first thing that popped up in my head was uh was something that um I guess, you know, Mark Mentor had said to me, like I said, he was a mentor of mine was just in terms of I guess on the well being piece and that's probably where I learned a lot of it from as well, working for him. But you know, he, he was just used, used to talk about the, the importance of the mind, body and the and the soul. Mm. So uh and making sure that you're balancing all those three things at, at any one time. So Probably pretty good advice. Like I said, that was the first thing that that popped up in my head. So That's what it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be a fire for that reason. So (laughs) Brilliant.
1: Uh, If you had access to a time machine,
0: where would you go? Uh, That's a tricky question because I think it would be fascinating to go back to a lot of different eras. Or forward, right? Or forward. Uh, It's your choice. Yeah. I think I'd still go back just to – Oh, well, maybe not. But I think, yeah, you know, the again, I think. Uh, I guess back to sort of the early settlers, sort of mm-hmm. time and when things were getting set up. I just think that would have been a really interesting yeah, people, time to be to be around. I'd so. like
1: to. I have always promoted that I would go forward. right? Yeah. I'm an optimist, <laughs> future futurist, or the above sci-fi geek. So I kind of yeah. really want to see where we end up
0: and. If we end yeah.
1: up all in robot, being robots with our you know brains
0: downloaded into this computer, yeah, But I reckon. Some last time someone asked me that question, I did say go forward, and the yeah. reason I said go forward was be so I could uh, make sure I was educating my kids to the yeah. best to yeah. the best of the ability, knowing what was coming in the yeah, future. Absolutely, uh, just give them a couple of the key stops, a couple of, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A couple of key are, tips. Where do we invest? Yeah, yeah. Um,
1: but the the idea of going back and. We're really sort of experiencing the way people lived without electricity. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Without, yeah. All the basics. And how they manage it. Like, you know what goes through my head? I wish to an element that I lived through that time because at a time where books were prevalent too, you could just read so much more. Yeah. Because, yeah, think about how much. What else we do? Or how much (laughs) we get distracted today. Exactly. You know, and yeah, yeah. It'd be an interesting, interesting time to go back to. If you had uh, one superhero power, what would yeah. it
0: be? Uh, oh, I think everyone probably says to fly. Yeah, they do. It'd be <laughs> it's typical. Cool. And boring. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and boring. I think um, being invisible would be pretty cool too. Yeah. Quite, <laughs> yeah. you could literally Quite be invasive, that. I think, <laughs> You could be, that, you could be that, literally <laughs> that fly on the wall. Um, so that'd be pretty interesting. Yeah. <laughs>
1: invisibility would be good um yeah there's an element of me that isn't so comfortable with that. Though. <laughs> exactly that's right yeah exactly exactly i think uh, i'll go with the first one yeah flying. <laughs> brilliant now you have listened to some podcasts so you know that you hopefully you know this question was coming up i didn't prepare for you at it, but you are a father father of three yeah you've surely got a, a really
0: good dad joke in the back pocket a good dad, dad joke Oh god, haven't used one for a while. <laughs> <laughs> Far away. I need. I need one. A good dad joke. Oh. See, my kids aren't at that age yet where there's a good dad joke. Um, How old are they? Seven, five, and two. Oh, and the seven-year-old's prime for a good dad yeah. jokes right now. <laughs> Yeah, I've been
1: rattling them off since they were bloody born. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, what's your favourite
1: one? No, no, don't don't deflect this onto no, me. It'll give me. It'll give me some time to think. So you
0: you, you give me one, and oh, then I'll give I've you. I've said one.
1: so many. I don't want to use the same ones. Um, oh, you know the old. If you uh, what? <laughs> if you uh, well, what color? What color? No, hang on, I've lost it. Yeah, uh-huh. no, we got to edit this. <laughs> I'm I'm normally I'm proud. Okay, I'll do, I've got one, I've got, one, I've, got one. I've got it. What's your name? Daniel.
0: What am I touching? Your nose. What am I holding? Nothing. Daniel knows nothing. I uh, <laughs> uh, see what you My did My kids there. do love that one. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well done. Very good. Thank you very much. I can't believe I stalled on a dad joke. I'm going to right. <laughs> <All right. laughs> You put me on the spot. Now. <laughs> now I know what it feels like. So thank you very much for your time today, Brennan. It's been an amazing chat. First and foremost, thank you for everything that you are doing in your role as a leader and you're obviously leading, leading exceptionally well and getting results um, and fantastic results with the simple fact that you're putting a lot of emphasis on the well-being. So thank you for everything you're doing there and just with the community stuff. I mean, yeah. the amount of time and effort that must go into it and take you away from your family, from your work, from all the above. Yeah. Um, yeah, South Australia and, and Australia obviously is benefiting from from that ball in itself and and the, all the good that you're doing from
0: it. I think when you do something passionate, it finds its own energy and space, yeah. doesn't it? But no, thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure to be on. It's been great to get to know you through this journey, and thanks for everything you're doing for the community as well in terms of uh, what you do with your business. And you know, this podcast is obviously giving people a platform to hear from you know some of the great work that that people locally are doing. So it's great. So yeah thank you
1: hugs all around thanks guys <laughs> we'll uh we'll catch you next time take care thanks for listening to the podcast all you can check out the show notes if there was anything of interest to you and find out more about us at synergyiq.com.au i am going to ask though if you did like the podcast it would absolutely mean the world to me if you could subscribe rate and review and if you didn't like it that's all right too there's no need to do anything take care guys all the best
0: Thank you once again for joining us here at Creating Synergy. It's been great spending this time with you. Please jump on to the Synergy IQ Facebook and LinkedIn page, where the discussion continues after the show. Join our mailing list so you'll know what's happening next at synergyiq.com.au. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. And if you really enjoyed it, please share it with your friends.